the important thing is to think about the strengths and what Peter Benson called the assets of young people. And every young person has strengths and assets. There's, every child has a spark in somewhere uh, that you can light a fire based on. And that's what we should be thinking about as the adult community. You're listening to Bill Damon, the director of the Stanford Center of Adolescence, a professor of education at Stanford, and a senior fellow at the Hoover Institute. Damon is one of the world's leading researchers on the development of purpose in life and the author of the influential book, The Path to Purpose. He's also the founding editor of New Directions for Child and Adolescence Development and editor-in-chief of the Handbook of Child Psychology. Damon has been elected to membership in the National Academy of Education and the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. A few years ago, I read Viktor Frankl's book, Men's Search for Meaning, which led me to dig into the research around the topic of purpose and meaning. What I found was that, generally speaking, people who find their purpose in life are happier, they live longer, they are also more resilient and optimistic. This inspired me to add something to my parenting scorecard, help the kids find their purpose in life. For a long time, I didn't know how to do that until I came across Bill's book. It was so enlightening that I reached out to Bill and he was gracious enough to meet and discuss the topic. We covered the definition of purpose, its importance, and some practical advice for parents who want to help their kids find their purpose in life. I'm Guy Michelin, and this is Raising to Rise, a show about the parents, educators, and mentors of kids who made it to the top of their game. Every week, we'll identify patterns and pieces of advice that hopefully will serve you while on the journey of raising your own kids. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you. Delighted to be here. I would argue that all of us, parent or not, should read your book, The Path to Purpose. So to kick off our conversation, I wanted to start from the fundamentals around this topic and ask you, how would you define purpose? Good. I'm, I'm glad we're starting there because that was, for one thing, that's where I started and it needed to be done because the word purpose had been used very, very loosely in the field of child development and psychology and behavioral science. And it had been conflated, it had been used interchangeably with a number of other terms that are really quite different, like passion or meaning or goals. And all of these concepts are related to purpose, but if, if you're doing science or medicine or anything practical, you want to be sure that each word you use has a very precise definition because then you know how to work with it. So we actually spent in my lab uh, a year or so really thinking through what exactly is purpose and what's the meaning of it. And I'll give you the definition we came up with and it's important because every part of the definition has some consequence. Uh, it, it makes a difference to human development. So purpose 
is, first of all, a long-term goal. In other words, it's not a one-time shot deal. Uh, and there are, of course, things you can do just one time that are very valuable. Uh, you can be walking uh, down a river stream and see a person drowning in the river and jump in and save the person. And that's a great thing to do. That's wonderful. It's a great heroic act. But you wouldn't say my purpose in life is to save drowning people from rivers. Right. It has to be something you keep doing. You're committed to do. You do it over and over again. Uh, it's a long-term goal. So that's number one. Number two, it's something that you bring yourself to, that you do uh, intentionally, that you own, that it has a lot of meaning to you. So to give you an example of something that's not purpose, again, that could be valuable, uh, a lot of things we do in life we're commanded to do. If you're in the military, uh, you're given orders, and you should do those orders. Uh, it's, it's a good thing to do. But you can't say, well, you know, uh, my sergeant ordered me to clean the latrines, so that's my purpose. In fact, you're doing it because that was your order and you did that. So that wasn't something you chose as your mission in life. So it has to be voluntary. It has to be self-initiated. It has to be something that's very meaningful to you. And then third, and th this is a really important part that had been left out a lot, um, a purpose is an intention to do something that has consequences to the world beyond the self. It's not all about me. And again, there are a lot of things that you do that are all about you that are fine. Um, if you sit and read a poem uh, because it's very beautiful and it, it enlightens you, that's a wonderful thing to do, but that's not a purpose. A purpose is an attempt to accomplish something that has meaning not just for you, but for the world beyond the self. And um, all of those components are important. Uh, the long-term component is important because it shows how purpose requires commitment and perseverance and grit. Uh, the part that is voluntary and self-initiated is important because it shows how purpose has to be, does have to be meaningful. And the part that is of consequence to the world beyond the self is an indication of how purpose prevents you from becoming self-absorbed and all of the mental and social dangers that come out of extreme self-absorption. And so that's why purpose deters a lot of the, um, a lot of the problems of growing up, of even aging, uh, where people worry about their health or worry about their um, social status or their money or all these things uh, and get full of anxiety or get an attitude that I can't cope. Purpose is a way of um, thinking beyond the self, and, uh, and that brings with it a lot of psychological benefits as well as benefits to the world. One of the aha moments or one of the call it enlightened parts of, of your book were, was where you talk about the importance of why should we care about purpose? Because you can right. say, yeah, it's, it's a nice concept, but how is that related to me as a parent? Yes. But then you, you give their abundance of research that actually shows that it's so important for our well-being, for happiness, for 
a, a long list of other traits that I think most of us as parents would want to see in our kids. So would you mind talking a little bit about this research, the findings, and why sure. is it so important that parents will help or guide their kids to finding yeah. their purpose? Right. Well, the first source I'll tell you about isn't even research, in a, at least in a social science sense, but it was one of the sources that inspired me originally. It was an Austrian psychiatrist named Viktor Frankl, who um, in the mid-20th century wrote a very powerful book that was translated into English as Man's Search for Meaning. Actually, that wasn't a very good title translation because he didn't really use the word meaning in the book, and he was talking about purpose. Uh, the, the title of the book in the German was uh, Nevertheless Say Yes to Life, actually. And Frankel had um, um, unfortunately been during the war, the World War II, thrown into a concentration camp, and he lost his family, and he had a very hard time. He survived the experience by holding on to a manuscript that he was writing about his approach to psychiatry. And it was a very powerful new approach that was actually a positive approach, very different from his fellow Viennese uh, psychiatrist, uh, Sigmund Freud who had more of a deficit model about people's mental illness. But Frankel believed that, uh, that your goals in life and, and, in fact, your purposes were the answer to your survival, your happiness, your long-term adap adaptiveness. And, of course, it kept him going. He was a case in point. Since that, and that was a very influential book, and he survived and created a a very important school of psychology called logotherapy. As I mentioned before, I got to read Frankel's powerful book a few years ago. It was one of those books that stays with you for life. On one hand, it's a testimony around the atrocities humans can inflict on one another. But on the other hand, it's a celebration of human spirit. And just like Bill said, a testament to the power of having a purpose. I quote, Life is never made unbearable by circumstances, but only by the lack of meaning and purpose. Those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. End quote. I originally added helping the kids find a purpose as a line to my scorecard thanks to Frankel's book. So it was nice affirmation to hear Bill talk about it. Recently, Uh, in the last maybe 10 or 20 years, there have been a number of empirical social science studies of purpose and also studies in medicine, especially in the area of gerontology, uh, elderly people. And the results, and these are not studies that we have done in my lab, but they're studies I've heard about or read about. But in, a gen in a, just an uh, overall aggregate sense, the studies indicate that all through the lifespan, right up to the end, having purpose helps you maintain a positive attitude, a lot of energy, health benefits, even, uh, even deter morbidity and mortality, uh, according to some gerontological reports. So motivation, resilience, thriving, all of these seem to be outcomes of purpose. 
And it makes sense because, as Frankel wrote, if you believe in something, you have more energy and you don't sit and worry about yourself all the time and you keep going. You have grit. You survive. You're a survivor. And not only that, you enjoy it because you understand the joy of a meaningful life. And so in a way, this is kind of like the key to unlock a lot of these other things that we, I guess, all want for our kids, like resilience, optimism, energy, all these things that you just mentioned. So we should, if I'm just, I'm, I'm putting my business hat on, sure. I have like 10 traits on my scorecard and I need to prioritize them because it's hard to work on all of them. So I, I should definitely, it sounds like I need to put purpose pretty high up and this will unlock a lot of the other ones. I think that's right. I, I always rush to say that it's not a silver bullet and it's not the only thing you need in life for sure. So it's not the answer to every problem or every aspiration. But I do believe it's high up on the list and it's very connected with a lot of other character strengths that are also important, like grit, for example. We've done studies with Angela Duckworth that show that purpose and grit go hand in hand uh, in adolescence, and that's, of course, a formative period of life. And uh, there are a number of other uh, character strengths, uh, like zeal and even curiosity and others that are at least uh, facilitated by purpose. Again, purpose isn't the only thing, and I, I want to repeat what I said earlier because it's so important. Purpose does not necessarily come together in a package with ethics or morality, and so that needs to be taught in addition, and that's really important for a good life. So purpose is not a silver bullet. It's not the only thing you need, but I think it's high up on the list for sure. So in your book, you... Interview, the part of your research was to interview a group of very inspiring, uh, purposeful teenagers. And right. There are pretty amazing stories there. And what I like is that you had, uh, you called it a path to purpose. You, you, you literally identified steps that it seems that most of them, all of them took. Yes. On their journey to find their purpose. Exactly. Do you mind talking yes. a little bit about that? Because I think parents can actually learn a lot by understanding the breakdown of, okay, these kids did one, two, three, four. Yeah. So maybe we as parents can help them do the same. Yeah, I, I agree uh, because the patterns were so widespread. They, all of the highly purposeful young people seem to get there in the same way. So I think there is something that we can learn as parents and as educators. Teachers can learn from this too. So the commonalities that we found were, number one, at some point, the young person had been exposed to some model of purpose, some adult who was living a purposeful life, uh, had some opportunity to observe a, uh, an admired adult who was doing something purposeful. Very often, of course, it was the parent uh, who believed in his or her job or was doing something in the community that was purposeful, but not always. Uh, sometimes it was a teacher, sometimes it was someone who the young person met on a job, uh, a, a boss, uh, even we found a young person that uh, was working in a fast food restaurant. His manager um, told him that he saw his job in the fast food restaurant not just as 
flipping hamburgers and serving meals, but as putting a smile on every customer's face because these customers had hard lives and they were bringing their kids there. It might be the high point of the whole day. And so think about these customers and how you're serving them. And that subject of ours said he came away from that summer job with a whole different view of what working was like uh, because he had observed this mentor, this manager of this fast food restaurant. So uh, that was number one, the chance to observe somebody that is purposeful and, uh, uh, and see what that looks like. Number two, uh, there was some realization, some, uh, the child had seen something in the world that the child believed needed to be improved. Uh, and this, again, the variety is enormous uh, because, of course, human life has enormous variety in it. Uh, this could be, in one case, uh, uh, one of our uh, young women, uh, her, I think it was her grandmother had died of lung cancer, and other people in her community uh, that she grew up in had cancer. And so she said, gee, this is really sad, it's awful. Maybe I can do something about this. And so this young woman uh, joined the American Cancer Society, raised money, and then became herself, went to medical school and became herself a cancer researcher. Uh, or it could be something, it doesn't have to be something quite that um, uh, uh, serious or um, life-threatening. Uh, one of our young people that we studied was a musician, and he thought the scales of music used in jazz, contemporary jazz, had become boring and stale. So he thought he could do better. Uh, he, that, this could be improved. So this could be anything in the world, but, uh, but the young person no, noticed that there's something in the world that could be changed and improved. And then, the, of course, the third realization that comes hand in hand with that is, I have the possible talent and skill that I could do something about this myself. I could contribute to this. So when those all go hand in hand, and then when the parent, the final thing, and there, there's a fourth thing, is that sooner or later, in every one of these cases, the parent was listening to the child as the child discovered this mission of improving things. And sooner or later, the parents got on board and helped the child with the resources needed to develop the skills to, to do something about it. And sometimes this happened very naturally if the child wanted to be something that the parent immediately approved of, like a scientist or a um, medical professional. Very often the parent would say, great, I'll help you. I'll help you learn. I'll help you go to medical school, whatever. But sometimes the parent was not prepared at all and resisted. Uh, one of our cases, the child wanted to, got really interested in, in cooking and wanted to become a French chef uh, in a restaurant. I think, uh, I think she, he wanted to become a sauce chef or something like that. And the parents thought this was very frivolous and silly and tried to talk the boy out of it. But sooner or later, and there were a lot of examples like this. Sooner or later, the boy stuck to it, and the parents were persuaded, and the parents sent the boy to uh, 
a Napa Valley um, internship with a French chef up there and so on. So in every case that we see, the parents eventually support what the child is doing. And so that's an, that, that was the important role of the parent as far as our findings were concerned. It wasn't the parent that gave the child the idea about what they should do. Uh, in fact, when parents tried to do that, the child often didn't listen. But it was rather that when the child came up with his or her own idea, the parents eventually supported it. So one question on this, for those moments of realization, I just wonder, because I have three young kids, and I think they're pretty sheltered. Like, I told you I'm from Israel, so if yeah. you read the news from Israel, sometimes there's act of violence, like you said, and I never show that to them. And even if they, they see me on the phone, I always kind of like brush it away. Yeah. But as I read this part of your book, I was thinking maybe I should introduce them more to what's going on in the world. Because yeah. how would they know that something is broken in the world yeah. if they live in this bubble and everything is beautiful yeah. and magical, especially if we live in this area of the world? I think you're right. Uh, <coughs> and your reaction is, is very common. A lot of parents, and I understand that, uh, children do need to be sheltered from things that are you know, just so scary and awful that it will traumatize them. Uh, so you don't want to rub their noses in the, the, all the evils of the world. Uh, however, however, that said, I think it's important not to over-shelter kids. Uh, I think it's very important. They're, they're going to find out about a lot of these things anyway. And the best way to find out is when they can discuss it with a parent. And so I really do believe that children should know what's going on in the world. Um, again, everything in moderation, and you don't want to overdo it, uh, but I, I think it's important that they learn about death and dying and, and war and disease, and, and that is how a lot of them will find their purposes, by dedicating themselves to making these things better. So I, I do think you're right that, um, that, uh, that you have to be careful not to over-protect over and over-shelter your child. Is there anything that you did as a parent uh, to help them understand it? Because I, I, I think I read in your book that it mentioned the Kennedys, that they did those dinners and had those That's worldly right. discussions, which yeah. also made me think that we should have this thing at home because we don't. Yeah. Uh, what I thought is just, it's a side note, but over this weekend to open the New York Times and the world section and to yeah. start having discussions yeah. about it, which we never do. But I'm just curious, because you have three kids. Yeah. Do, do you do any things that you think other parents can adopt? Well, it, no, nothing that original, nothing very original, because we did um, try very hard to copy the family dinner format. And I might have been in... I might have been partly influenced on that by reading the biography of the elder of Joseph Kennedy, who did that intentionally with his with his children, who became, of course, president and senator and so on. Uh, so we tried hard to do that, and that's not easy to do these days, I will say, because there are a lot of centrifugal forces that pull the kids apart, and they're busy, they don't want to sit down for dinner and all that. But we, we tried very hard to do that whenever we could. It was not every night of the week, by any means. And when we did that, we would talk about what's going on and what was troubling us in the news and so on. So that we did. I didn't, did not invent that, but I kind of copied that. The other thing is that whenever anything upsetting happened in our own world, uh, even, from, even when my children are quite young, if some relative died or 
somebody was getting sick or there was some uh, problem with a neighbor, we would not hide it from the child. Uh, we never believed in doing that. We, we didn't, uh, or if a child's pet died, we didn't say, oh, you know, um, <laughs> I don't know, the, the pet went to pet heaven or something like that. You know, we talked about death and dying as part of the natural part of life. Uh, uh, so I, I think we really did believe in being honest with, chil- with our children and in, um, in if, they had que- if they had questions or worries, we would rather have them ask them, uh, ask us about how we thought about it rather than uh, feel they had to be secret and this was kind of a, uh, this was a, a forbidden area that they weren't supposed to know about. We did not like that, that approach. And how did you talk about the world issues or, or things that are in, in the news? Like, because I'm just practically now thinking, like you said, the the time, dinner time is, is becoming yeah. more and more constrained. So let's say we all sit down and then you just bring up the topic. Today, I read in the paper that there is X and Y and Z that's happening in the world. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Just trying to pr- practice. How do you well, get the kids to also to react to that? Well, my approach was always to ask questions. Of course, they had heard about these things. I mean, one of the most dramatic examples, of course, was September 11th, which was a horrible day for us Americans. Um, and uh, of course, our kids, everybody knew right. about it right away. So um, we didn't have to break the news to them. But what we did want to know was what they were thinking about, what it appeared to them to mean. Uh, and so it was more that we asked them gee, uh, what does this mean to you, and uh, does it frighten you, and what do you think What do you think the world should do about it? We talked about that, too. What should, how should we react and respond as a country? And we would always begin with questioning them about what they knew and what they believed about it. And then we would, very frankly, give our opinions about what it meant and what in this case, what should the United States should do. And we didn't always agree. My wife and I did not have the same views about what our country's response should be. We had somewhat different uh, opinions about what, what the president at the time should do and so on. But we thought that was a good thing. And our children, too. Had, we have three children. They did not all agree with each other. But we, and we, we thought we shouldn't try to say there's one right or wrong answer. We should just discuss our points of view, and we'll be honest and open with how we are experiencing the event. And in that way, our values came across. And in the long run, they're going to make up their own minds about what's right and wrong. Right. After this conversation, I did two things. First, I bought Joseph Kennedy's biography. And then I started sharing with the kids, every few dinners, headlines from the news. In the last two weeks, we talked about Brexit. We talked about the fires in the Amazon. We talked about Hurricane Dorian. And in an interesting coincidence, we talked about 9-11. It's been very interesting to see how engaged and curious the kids were and the questions that they were asking. The more I do it, the more I believe that it's a good way to expose the kids to things that are broken in the world and hopefully to get them one step closer to finding their purpose and taking action. 
Okay, great. So I, I want to transition out. You have a very practical, because we're talking about parenting. You actually have a, a whole chapter in your book just for parents with very yes. practical advice. So I think it has like nine or ten recommendations on things that we can actually implement day to day. And some of it ties into the pattern that you've seen with those um, purposeful kids. But would you mind if we go over them just so, so the listeners that haven't read the book know what they can start doing today to help their kids find their purpose? Sure. Uh, and some of them you could do very early with young people. Uh, one is to actually give your child something to be responsible for around the house. Uh, it used to be called, when I was growing up, chores. I think that word has totally gone out of fashion, but it it really means it means small household obligations. And uh, they can be anything from uh, taking the dog out for a walk to watering the plants uh, to helping unload the dishwasher or if you live in a cold climate, shovel the snow. I mean, there are lots of things that kids can do to help. But I think that even with a very young child, uh, a four-year-old, uh, the child can get some sense that he or she is contributing to the family by helping out. And that's how you begin developing a habit of not just thinking about yourself and not being self-absorbed and thinking that you can make a difference in the world, even at the very small level of your family. Because these are habits. Character strengths, like purpose, begin as habits. And a four-year-old can do something to help mom or dad uh, and, and take them these things seriously. You know, I wouldn't, I mean, if the child is going to feed a pet, I wouldn't say, well, if the child forgets, let the pet go hungry. But you might want to say if a child has responsible for watering one of the plants and the child doesn't get around to doing it, maybe letting that plant die is not a horrible thing, and that might teach the child a lesson. So, you know, in ways that don't endanger anybody, uh, at least any uh, sentient being, uh, give the child some real responsibilities to do. So that, that would be number one. That can start very early. And number two, the, we've already talked about some of this, but I, think, I do think exposing the child to the world, in other words, um, uh, showing the child what's happening out there beyond the family uh, in, in lots of ways, uh, so the child gets to know what the needs of the world are, uh, what uh, what needs to be done in the world. That's good. Doing things with children that are family projects or family adventures, uh, I think that's great. And it, again, gives children the message that they can do something. They can actually participate and pitch in and do something that amounts to something even if it's uh, an exploration of the wilderness or, or uh, anything that is uh, beyond the self that gets the child involved in other people and in the world beyond the self. And then I think later in childhood when children get to school and beyond, I think um, listening hard to what the child's spark is. What is your child's spark? What's your child really interested in? What is your child talented in? And helping the child f pursue that. Uh, and again, realizing that every child is an individual. 
uh, I have three children, or I, uh, they're not young anymore, but uh, I have now, I have, they're three adult children now, but each of them are different. Uh, they each have, uh, all along, ever since they were born, they had uh, different things they were interested in, they have very different abilities, and of course they have the same genetic profile, so it's not, it's not, it's not what they inherited. Uh, they just uh, had different orientations in life, maybe because one of they've had different birth orders. One's older, the other's younger. One's a boy and two are girls. Uh, that that makes a difference. Uh, and and there are of course some genetic differences, even though they come from the same general stock. So purpose is an individual phenomenon. Every child will come about it in his or her own way and develop his or her own uh, driving mission in life or missions, not just one. People have more than one purposes very often. And listening hard to what your child is inclined to do and interested in is it can be a big help. And finally, what to avoid is I would say don't try to write the script of life for your child because it's not going to work. Uh, children are not going to listen to um, somebody that's going to tell them uh, what goals to pursue in life uh, all the way through life. They're going to want to work this out themselves. And they might even have a better sense of it because they are young. Uh, they have a sense of how the world's changing. Uh, it's not the same world as when the parents grew up. It's not the same world that the parents grew up in. So it's even adaptive to let them work out things themselves. So parents who think they can just tell children the, the exact things to do in life and what to do it and how to do it and what they should be aspiring to, it's a, uh, it's a mission that is not possible, even if it were desirable. It, it won't work. The, ch the children are going to find their own way. A couple of other things that I've seen uh, in the book that also caught my eyes. First of all, in terms of uh, the listening and finding the spark and then uh, putting the, <clears throat> the fan on the flames, I think you called it. Yeah. I found at the end of your book a list of questions that are kind of like uh, a way to get it out of the kids. Like uh, I saw that what's most important to you? Why do you care oh, about yeah. those things? Which I, I'm mentioning it because I thought it's very, very practical. It's like tools that we can actually use and and it's related to something else that I really liked in the book where you're saying that we should use moments of transition like uh, this the, the beginning of the school year we just started the school year here or Thanksgiving or moments like that to actually use it as an excuse to start doing this reflection or this exercise using those questions. Yeah, that's good. Uh, thank you for reminding me of that. That's right. At the, at the end of the book, I included the questions that we a ask young people as part of our research project. And we found that when you ask young people this, these questions, even though our intention was to discover what they were thinking, that it does promote reflection. It, it, uh, for a lot of the young people, they get started on a pathway of reflection that I, I believe uh, uh, helps them think more about what their purposes are. So again, it's not a silver bullet. It's not. It's not necessarily a. Um, it's not like a some kind of a, a universal answer to uh, to how to get young people to find purpose. But I think it's a tool that 
that for some young people could be helpful in promoting their reflection. And as you just said, using questions like that around important occasions, especially spiritual ones like Thanksgiving, which is dedicated towards gratitude, the idea of Thanksgiving, at least it's supposed to be. I mean, it's not supposed to be only about playing football or eating turkey. Uh, So if you get back to the spiritual roots of Thanksgiving, um, use these questions as a way to ask young people what they have to be thankful for. What are the positive features in their lives that uh, that does that deserve some gratitude, and that uh, maybe they can um, commit themselves to uh, doing more of. So I think these kinds of questions can be helpful ways to communicate with children, to encourage children to think deeply about the important things in life, and in the long run, that can can play a role in helping them find their direction and their purposes in life, I believe. In the appendix of the book, you'll find the whole list of questions we are referencing. But just to give you a sense, here are three examples. What does it mean to have a good life? What does it mean to be a good person? If you are looking back on your life, how would you want to be remembered? What would you want to be remembered for? Why? You can see how questions like these are healthy to ask oneself at any age. A couple of other things that uh, I thought they were brilliant. One, you're saying there, and it's true for myself after I read it, uh, it made a lot of sense, that as adults, we rarely talk with the kids about the purpose of our work. Right. And just by explaining, or again, role modeling to the kids that what we do matters to us and showing them that we have purpose, you're saying that that can be a jumpstart for the kids to start thinking about that. Yeah, and that's something that a lot of parents don't do. And in fact, uh, I've been guilty of that myself, of coming home after a hard day of work and not really being very open or communicative about about what I was trying to accomplish that day. And it it could have been more useful than than what I did, which was basically not much. Although eventually I got around to, I got around to talking about what I found meaningful in my work. But I think that all of us parents don't do as much of that as would be helpful. And I know that some of our subjects, the uh, young people who we interviewed, would say things like, well, I don't know what my mom or dad do for uh, earning a living. I do know that what they do is that they type things into the computer all day. And you say, well, what do they type in the computer? And the child just draws a blank and say, I don't know, but that's their job. And they come home uh, having, they get paid for doing it. And I think it would be very helpful for the child to say, well, uh, you, you know, I when I type into the computer, I am ordering uh, sardines for a restaurant in Tennessee, and uh, I'm helping uh, that restaurant serve customers to, uh, uh, you know, to their, there's a service there that I'm actually doing that's making a difference in the world. I think if, if young people could hear more of that from their parents, they would find that as one uh, as one thing that could maybe inspire them to say, well, you know, work can be very valuable and meaningful. 
It seems to me that you see mentors as a key ingredient in helping kids find their purpose. Can you say a little bit more about why you think mentorship is so important? Sure. Uh, mentors are really important when you're young. And, of course, teachers and parents are the first mentors that young people have, just naturally. Uh, but uh, I think that um, it's important in whatever activity the young person gets engaged in, either during school or after school, that the young person finds somebody that can give them guidance and somebody who they really admire and trust. And that was something else that we found among all of our purposeful people uh, is that they could identify somebody that had encouraged them, number one. I mean, a mentor is somebody that believes in you, that supports you, that says, you can do it. I mean, those, those um, four words uh, coming from somebody you trust and believe can make a huge amount of difference. And unfortunately, a lot of young people don't have that sense of confidence or optimism that if I try, I can actually succeed. I can do it. I can make a difference. And that's for a lot of reasons. I think, I mean, a lot of young people don't realize what success really is. They think, well, if I don't change the world overnight, I'm a failure. Uh, in other words, they have an exaggerated sense of what counts as success. Or if I don't get into, you know, a uh, top five status college, I'm a failure or something like that. And all of that is silly. But a mentor can, uh, a mentor who you trust and who believes in you and who supports you can give you a more realistic sense of what success is. And success really means doing the best you can do and making a little bit of progress, uh, doing something, learning how to do something a little bit better, or making a small contribution, putting a grain of sand on the pile. Uh, that's the kind of attitude that young people uh, thrive on, uh, is the sense that if I just keep trying, I try my best and keep with it, and it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be world-changing overnight. And I think that's maybe the first role of a mentor is to give a young person a realistic sense of what it takes to get ahead in, in the area that the young person is working in. And in addition to that, of course, a mentor will be able to show some practical skills of how you do that. And again, what skills are appropriate for that particular young person to learn? Because the person's young and the person's not going to be an advanced uh, expert on anything. So the mentor takes the young person through the steps of development. Great. I know we're short of time, so I'll ask yeah. the last question, Good. And, uh, Good. which I ask all my guests is, yes. how would you define success as a parent? I think there, uh, that's a very deep question, uh, but I think that uh, I can only answer this personally. This is not a, this is not a professional <laughs> or scientific yeah. answer, uh, but I would say the... Um, the things that give me some satisfaction and, and reassurance are, number one, when I talk to 
my children, who are adults now, and they seem to have productive goals that they're working towards, and they know what those goals are, and they feel themselves some sense of satisfaction that they're making some progress on those goals. And so that's related to purpose. In other words, if your child has a purpose, uh, that, or, or more than one purpose, if they have a number of purposes that they're sticking with as they become adults, I think that's something that gives me some gratification as a parent. The other thing uh, is that will my children communicate openly with me about challenges and problems they have, even as adults, and let me know, because uh, life has challenges, and life has a lot of failures. There's no, none of us in life uh, avoid failure. We all fail at lots of things and bump up against things that we actually can't, problems that we can't solve, at least right away. And so, of course, my ch children, like myself, are going to have these experiences of difficulty, challenge, and failure. Do they let me know about it? Do they talk to me about it? Uh, do they give me a chance to give them my own experience and to the extent that I have any wisdom at all, share that with them? So that's, the, uh, that's another thing. And I think the third thing is that um, do they uh, enjoy coming home? Do they, I mean, that, that is a sign of, uh, personally, uh, I feel a sign of satisfaction. Uh, do, they, uh, do they enjoy visiting and hanging out with us? Uh, because at least two of my kids live across the country pretty far away. So that, do they take the trouble of getting on a plane and, and bringing their own children with them? Uh, and does it seem like a chore or a burden to them? Or do they actually look forward to it? So I, those are just personal, uh, personal answers uh, that, uh, uh, and, and I will say, uh, fourthly, that it's, it's, never, it's never a smooth road. Uh, it really, there's, there's always things that you have to deal with and the challenges that life throws up and times when you say, oh my God, you know, the, I, I wish things were going a different way. But, um, but I've been fortunate and, and things have, when, when things have been hard, they've, uh, we've, we've, we've found ways to work them out as a family. And so that's, I guess that would be the fourth thing. Can you find ways to work, work out the inevitable uh, the inevitable disasters that life will throw at members of a family, and can you work together as a family to address them and make them better? Okay, so Bill, I want to thank you. I have so many more questions, but we're going to leave this with some other time. <laughs> yeah, okay. your, your book is amazing. And oh, thank gives you. So many tools to parents. So I want to say thank you and thanks for having me. Great, well, I enjoyed it. It was a very nice conversation, and I think uh, it sounds like. Uh, uh, it sounds like you, your audience will benefit a lot from the work that, that you've been doing with, with everybody. Thank you. <laughs> I came out of this conversation with conviction that helping my kids uncover their passion is a key part of my role as a parent and that there are very practical steps I can take to make it happen. Exposing them to things that are broken in the world helping them to take the first steps to fix these things, matching them with mentors, role modeling and discussing the things I'm passionate about, being attentive and helping them identify their spark, and once they find it, supporting them. 
even if I disagree with the direction. Thank you all for listening. For show notes, please visit RaisingToRise.com. Your support is greatly appreciated, and I'm looking forward to continuing the parenting